Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to open them to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. If you're not sure where to find him, you can find the Gospel of Matthew. Let's start turning to the left. Just a few books, you'll see Malachi and then Zechariah. And as you keep going back, you'll see Haggai and Zephaniah, and then you'll hit Habakkuk. We've been looking at Habakkuk uh, in the evenings now as we gather together. And this evening, I'd like us to look at the bulk of chapter 2. That is chapter 2, verses 5 through 20. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's Word. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative, and the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Habakkuk, chapter 2. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire And nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come round to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake! To a silent stone, 
Arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would bless us by Your Word, that You would apply it to our hearts and our lives as only You know how to, Lord. Remind us, O Lord, that You are in control, that no matter what happens around us, that we can trust in You, that You, O Lord, will be just. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a magazine that we have delivered to our home. Perhaps some of you have read it or even subscribe. It's called World Magazine. And it is a magazine that treats the happenings in the world, the the news, if you will, from a, a Christian perspective. It is full of articles and letters and and excellent material. But I have to confess to you this evening that when the magazine comes, the very first thing that I turn to in the magazine are the cartoons. Now, Now, I don't mean cartoons like Tom and Jerry or Peanuts. No, I mean the political cartoons, the, the news cartoons. And, and I bet I'm not the only one. There's at least a few in my family that can say the same thing. And so there's something about these sort of political art cartoons. They're designed to get our attention, aren't they? But if we think about them, more often than not, they are critical in tone. Isn't that true? When you see a cartoon dealing with the president, and I mean any president of any party, it's usually not a very positive one, is it? It's usually poking fun at the president or our government or celebrities. It's, we might even say, a bit subversive to be a cartoonist, to be poking fun at the powers that be. Well, cartoons aren't the only way to be subversive. There is a whole body of literature that is subversive. There's historical satire and and writings of wit. But this evening what we have is subversive literature from God. Yes, you heard me right. God is being subversive. He's being subversive of a secular worldview, of a view throughout the world that says that God is not important and that He doesn't matter. And so what we have here this evening from the prophet Habakkuk is God speaking into the midst of our world. He's speaking to the world, but He's also speaking to the believer to give us encouragement that He is in control And that he mocks those who think they are in power. There are a series of woes that are pronounced on those who think they are a big deal. As God reminds them 
who's in charge. So what I'd like us to see briefly this evening are two things. The bulk of our time, actually all but one verse, will be spent on a time to speak. The time to speak. The woes that God speaks to the world. But then we will turn at the end to verse 20 and we will see there is not only a time to speak, but there is also the time to listen. Verse 20 will show us there is a time to listen to the Lord our God. So let's begin then by looking here at verse 5 with the time to speak that God brings into our world. Verse 5, you'll recall, comes right after the famous verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. But remember, there's a first part to verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. And verse 5 turns back to the one whose soul is puffed up. This is not talking about those who trust the Lord by faith. And he says, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. And so this gives us a first initial context of God speaking. Now, he's speaking about Babylon, the empire of the dead. And when he speaks about wine, he's talking about more than a cabernet. He's speaking about the wealth that Babylon has amassed to itself. The power that she thinks she has. The joy that she takes in this power. This is a metaphor here for wine. Wine is a traitor because, after all, Babylon may think that she is in control. She may think all the world is at her feet. But she is deceived. Her arrogance has gotten control of her. Her greed is as wide as Sheol. This is a description, not just of Babylon, but of the world, of all who would oppose the people of God. Because after all, that's what Babylon is here, isn't it? You may recall from Habakkuk chapter 1 that Israel, or Judah per se, is in the midst of tumult, of wickedness and greed. And Habakkuk cries out to the Lord for deliverance, and the Lord says, well, I'm going to send someone even worse to you, the Babylonians. They are opposed to the people of God. They are wicked beyond all imagining. As a matter of fact, you'll recall the Lord says, I'm going to do a work that you would not believe if I told you. That's who Babylon is. Babylon gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Babylon treats nations and peoples like playthings or as trinkets to be collected. And God then continues on in verse 6, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? So this is an important turn In the book of Habakkuk, up until this point, there is great fear of Babylon. There is fear of what she will do. But right now, God says, Babylon is to be taunted, to be scoffed at. These are proverbial phrases throughout the Old Testament, speaking in riddles. Babylon is not all that she thinks she is. 
And I think it's good for us to remember that this is not just applicable to Babylon. It's applicable to the powers that be in our world today. Powers that are more concerned with vanity than with justice. Powers that are more concerned with greed than with grace. Powers that are more concerned with reputation and fame than with holiness and righteousness. We see them everywhere, don't we? We see them in the government. We see them in the film industry. We see them in the church in the 21st century, don't we? God says there is a context here for how He will deal with them. And He begins then to speak of this empire-building nation of Babylon. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Woe to him who loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. So what God is saying is you think you have it all together. You are amassing all this wealth that is not your own. But there is a judgment to come for this. Now, if we read this rightly, it's of great comfort to us. Because what it means is, God doesn't ignore the gangsters who steal and kill and lie and cheat. God doesn't even ignore the criminals who steal and lie and cheat on Wall Street. Or at the local bank. Or anywhere where people are taken advantage of. We see this every place, don't we? You could go home and turn on your television. And someone will try to convince you that they are doing you a favor by renting a television to you for only $25 a week. It's unconscionable. It's amassing up wealth at the expense of others. It's confiscating wealth from borrowers. And we see this all the time through high interest rates and through an amassing of debt. Because after all, it's not just our nation that's in too much debt, is it? At some point, we lose track of trillions upon trillions. But the world is not what it was 50 years ago. There's almost no one who doesn't carry debt. And I don't mean a mortgage on a house. I don't even mean a note on a car. I mean personal loans. I mean materials that they may have repossessed. I mean costs that they are weighed down with from health insurance, from medical bills, from college, from so many things, from so many people who seek to get from us. And if we understand this, we will understand that this is actually a violation of God's law. The Eighth Commandment says you shall not steal, but it is about much more than breaking into someone's house at night. It is about not looking out for your neighbor, not being generous with your goods, not being wise with your own means. You see, when we live in a place like that, life is cheap, isn't it? Look at verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and the violence to the earth. It is no coincidence that violence and death follows on the heels of greed. Have you ever asked yourself why 
There are so many abortions in America today. The answer is very simple. Money. It's not about rights. It's not about political theory. It's about money. It's about wanting to gain off the pain of others. So much that goes on in our world today is about taking advantage of others for one's own benefits. But you see, God says that this will indeed be turned around and actually the punishment will fit the crime. The questions that God asks in verse 6 and verse 7, will not your debtors suddenly arise? The question expects an answer. Yes, they will. You'd better look out. Woe to the plunderer. Then in verse 9, Habakkuk turns to another, not a plunderer, but a plotter, one who plots against others. Look at verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Woe to the one who makes a plan to hurt someone else, to take advantage of them. And the Hebrew here is actually interesting. It borders on being humorous because the phrase gets evil gain is very similar, could possibly be translated, takes his cut. Just like a gang of thieves. Take your cut. Why? So that you can have advantage over others. And it's interesting that this kind of action brings no satisfaction in itself. It brings no peace. Because what do the criminals do here? What they do is they're worried about their own safety. You know, if you can rob someone, you can be robbed. If you can take advantage of someone, you can be taken advantage of. And do you see what they do? They try to set their house on high. They are worried about turnabout. They are doing everything they can to protect themselves. Now this is very ironic given the historical context here. Because Babylon the Great, Babylon the plunderer of cities, Babylon the destroyer of nations, in just the blink of an eye, will be wiped off the map by the Persian Empire. Turnabout is fair play here. You see, they think they are completely in control. They think they have all that they need. But what they haven't counted on is God. This is a great contrast here in verses 9 and 11 from what God says in verse 4, where He tells us that the righteous should live by faith. Here they're trying to live by power and wit. They're doing the exact opposite of what they should. And this should be a reminder and a challenge to you and to me. Because we're tempted to live by our wits as well, aren't we? We're tempted to live by our planning. But you see, God tells us we're to live by our trust in Him. That's the way to true safety and life. There's another woe that comes out, the woe to the violent in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Now you see, this is not just one who is violent, but it's one who is actually a promoter of violence. Behold, 
Is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. You see, these are people who seek to build themselves up by tearing others down. Now, when I put it that way, it sounds a lot less like Babylon and empires and a lot more like people, doesn't it? Those who seek to build themselves up by tearing others down. It's as if they can't be good unless others fail. They can't describe anything that's happened to them without mocking someone else. Are you tempted to do that in the stories that you tell? To denigrate others? To try and make yourself seem better by comparison to others? God tells us what this brings. He says it's labor for the fire. Translation, it all just goes up in smoke. There's no lasting value to it. And actually, the series of empires that precede and succeed Babylon prove this. There was Assyria, and then Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome, all confined to the dustbin of history. There is no permanence to be found in power by violence and force. In verse 15, we see another woe. This is a woe to a demoralizer. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. There is a wicked motivation here behind the scenes. They are trying to take advantage of others. They're trying to demoralize others to make them unable to protect themselves. Verse 15 could easily apply to the scourge of substance abuse in our nation today. How so many seek to take advantage of others through substance abuse, both legal and illegal. Don't ever let anyone tell you that there is such a thing as a victimless crime. There is always a victim. And you see, there is a demoralizing aspect to a society that seeks to gain advantage over others, to get others to check out. And again here, the punishment fits the crime. Do you see this? You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. You will drink, but you will drink the cup of the Lord. You sought to take advantage of others, but now there is no refusing the cup of the Lord. The final woe comes in verses 18 and 19. Woe to the idolater. These are famous Verses again from the book of Habakkuk. We see here in verse 18. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. Now, it's, it's interesting that people actually think that they can create a God. That somehow they can make something that will help them when they need it. Do you see the insanity of that? That somehow they are in control by making something that can control them. We see this 
everywhere, don't we? No, there aren't totem poles or idols set up in the city square. But all throughout the land, there is a lifting up of idols. Things that are set up as the most important thing. And men are enslaved to them. Idols of tolerance. Idols of fame. Idols of greed. You see, there is no truth in them. You can make them, but they they don't speak. Habakkuk uses some interesting wordplay here. He says that there is no breath at all in them. They are, verse 18, speechless idols. Now, some of you may know that there is a Hebrew word for God, Elohim. The word for speechless is Elihim. It's very close. And that actually describes what they're doing. They're trying to create something close that is like God, and yet they fail miserably. There is no life in it. There is no hope in it. There is a seeming value. We might think of it this way in our modern age. Are you tempted to exchange God for goods? Do you give up on God so that you might have an advantage? There is a real danger here because you see, it is not just that the gods are false and do not perform the function that they are supposed to, but they actually are negative because they lead one away from God. Now, think of it this way. Let's suppose that it was 15 minutes before dinner at your house. And the food is ready to be laid out on the table. Good steak. Hearty potatoes. Crisp vegetables. Bread. with Butter. It's all laid out and ready to eat. And then 15 minutes before dinner begins... Your family sits down and each one of them eat ten candy bars. What's going to happen? You know as well as I do. Is any steak going to get eaten? Are the potatoes going to be down? Of course not. What's everyone going to say? I'm full. Now think about this. Not only does the candy not satisfy the need that we have for nutrition and health, It leads us away from what will. That's what idols are like. They're positively bad. It's not just a waste of time to pursue the idols of the world. It is harmful. It keeps us from God, from knowing God's will, from knowing God's love, from serving Him. Well, then in verse 20, we turn to a second thing, very briefly. God has brought a time to talk, and now He tells us that there is a time to listen. Look at verse 20 with me. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. This is a word from God to the whole of the world. It is the only conclusion to all of Habakkuk's question, to all of the agonizing of the people, to all of the chatter of the pagans. It is a word from God that we can rest upon. 
Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 3. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. What verse 20 says is, God is in control. Be still before Him. Stop plotting and scheming. Stop trying to take advantage Stop trying to make your world the way you want it to. God is in His holy temple. And this is great comfort to the Christian, isn't it? Because God is in control. He has not abandoned you. When recession comes, when terrorists strike, when wars are abounding, God has not abandoned His people. When our brothers and sisters are sold into slavery, when churches are burnt down, when Christians are persecuted, God is still in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. The psalmist says in Psalm 11, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. And we can rejoice in that no matter what our circumstances. The Lord is in His temple. He is in control. And His temple is holy. Habakkuk reminds us that God hates sin. He reminds us that the world is not the place that it should be. That there is a sadness that we should feel because the world is like it is. After all... Our Lord Jesus Christ had the same experience in Matthew 23 when He went into Jerusalem. He pronounced woes, but there is a sense of sadness in those woes. He would not, but the people would not obey God. Verse 20 tells us, if we have ears to listen, that God cares for His people. I don't know that there would ever be a Lord's Day in which you and I would not need to hear God is present and He cares for us. How good is God to give us this reminder, this majestic reminder that He is sovereign, that He is in control, that none can resist Him. No matter how bad the world is, no matter how wicked The enemies are. Do not forget, God is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Let's pray.